What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a new year, uh, 2021, and we're back with another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Weston Snyder. Uh, we had uh, Weston on earlier on in our podcast over the summer talking about uh, some Western hunting. What a year Weston had. He had bull down in Utah early on. He had a mule deer down in Utah as well as a cow elk. Uh, he went out to Colorado where he was successful for three for three. Uh, and this year he did not have an opportunity to uh, wrap his hands around a nice big bull. But at the same time, he had a great hunt. We talk about each one of his hunts, what he has going on for this upcoming year, and uh, just some awesome, awesome stories uh, from this past season for him. Very successful. Uh, couldn't be more pumped for him. Great dude. And uh, some some good stories regarding those hunts. Man, we're back for another episode. We are excited. We have some cool things that we're uh, jotting down that we want to put out for you guys this upcoming uh, season. And if there's anything particular that you're looking to, to learn about or hear about or people that you want us to try to get on, you know, please send them our way. We'd be more than happy to reach out and, and uh, get them on, on the show. So thank you again, everybody, for the support. Happy New Year to you and your family. And uh, till next time, antler up. Uh, Weston, three for four with some uh, awesome stories. So uh, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, good. Had a, had a pretty good year this year, so I can't complain, really. That's awesome, dude. I just... Uh, talking to Dimitri about when we uh we were texting back and forth about you know following you on Instagram and just seeing what you were up to he'd either text me or I would text him depending on who saw it first and just be like dude <laughs> he is a machine he is a hammer just dropping all that the the elk and the mule deer and uh got a cow elk late season just unbelievable uh season that you ended up having and I was actually talking to my wife the one day and I think it was actually when you uh shot your your cow elk and i'm just like man mm -hmm. he has to have at least five deep freezers <laughs> right yeah I've, we've gone to the neighbors now so luckily <laughs> he had an empty one that's not a so, bad problem to have no no and i haven't even picked the cow up yet so. <laughs> but we do have to thank you for all the work that you did for us for coming out to utah i mean we relied on you as a resource yeah. pretty heavily. Um, I don't think you know how much we appreciate that. And halfway through our hunt, we were kind of down and depressed. And I, you could probably hear that from our voice <laughs> when I gave you a call that day. And uh, you oh, really yeah. picked us up and, and gave us some waypoints and uh, helped us out. And that day, we, that was the day that we saw, what, four or five bucks oh. and did a couple stocks and, and really had some opportunities from there on out. So we were, we really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. Oh, no no problem. I wish, you know, could have got you on them sooner and had a couple more days while you're on them. But, um, you know, it's just, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough. And I just was scrambling, kind of trying to figure out where to send you guys to <laughs> get some sort of action, you know, especially with all the hunters and stuff that hit it hard so the thing is just getting away from those people that was the thing i mean like man when we uh talked about it with tim a couple of weeks ago and you know there were our last two episodes that we aired we uh the people that we were kind of near and surrounded by other than those the crazies on the uh the, the first like couple of days no one was really going after the uh, mule deer when we moved to that camp is where actually you know wes and you actually pointed us to in that direction yeah, down kind of south of where you started. Yeah. 
Yeah, we yeah. we were actually going to start there, um, especially even more north of, of where we were at seeing all those deer. But the problem was, is the way we were coming into the state, the only way to get around to that area was going down the whole way to Vernal and then back up into the mountain. And it was going to be right. another hour and a half of a drive. And we figured with having two hours of daylight that we might as well maybe spend it on this side of the unit. That way we can do some pre-scouting the night before and kind of have a game yeah. plan for the first day. Because if we would have went to that other side, which we probably should have, but yeah. um, hindsight's twenty twenty. But we wanted that opportunity to scout and kind of come up with a game plan and maybe get some uh, eyes on deer the first night. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Can't blame you for that, though. No, well, dude, let's get right into it. So your first harvest... Uh, let's kind of go in order, I guess, even, uh, I think that'd be the best way to go about it just because of, of, you know, your success that you had. The first one was your Utah elk, correct? Yep. It was my Utah archery bull, uh, just general unit bull. Um, yeah, it was, so I had hunt, I've hunted this area for the past few years and, um, I had found this, it, you, you can't see it on the map or anything, but in one of these little thick valley because I found a, it's a little water hole that for some reason it always has water in it. It's not a lot. It's probably, it might be the size of a truck bed and, but it's in the shade and it's, for, it's, I mean, it's only like a foot deep, but it's always got water in there. And so I was getting some, you know, some decent bulls coming in there on trail camera. And actually the first morning of the season, cause it, it was so hot this summer. I mean, the lower water holes that I, you know, checked out in the past and had seen some elk at, they were all dried up, so I kind of focused all my efforts over on this little tiny, almost like a spring. And um, the first morning I went in there, I was going to creep in there and just kind of see, check the cameras and maybe sit there for a while and check things out. And um, I was, it was just breaking daylight and I was, uh, I look up, I heard something, I looked up and I see a bull already at the water hole and he's turning and he's walking right out towards me. <laughs> so... I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this lucky first light opening morning. Jeez. And um, he he's coming through the Aspen, and he stops right before he gets there. And I range it. It's like 45 yards. I'm like, he needs to take that and give me that shoulder. And I'm going to send one, you know. Well, he snaps his head uphill, like looking uphill, some kind of down. I was actually below him. And he just turns and starts trotting. I'm like, what the heck? The wind was perfect. I mean, he's blowing from him to me. And he kind of, he saw, I had like, he came actually closer. So he didn't know I was there, but I had no shooting. He got into the thick scrub oak and stuff. And I just didn't have a shot at him. But he got out of there and a, another hunter came up from above him. And the thermals rushing right down on him, spun him around and got him out of there. So that kind of messed up my opening, opening morning. And it was pretty slow. The, uh, so that was opening Saturday morning. And then Saturday evening and Sunday, I really didn't see much. You know, Sunday, Saturday evening, I think I saw some cows, but that was about it. And um, so I worked that week. And then because it stayed, it stayed daylight relatively, you know, decently late on um, Friday, I left work early, jumped in my truck, made the three-hour drive out there, two and a half, three-hour drive, threw my pack on, grabbed my boat, sprinted into that water hole, sat down with like, maybe two hours of daylight left and i had a i had a black bear come in like an hour before dark 
and he came walking. He came to the water hole. He came from the other direction. Came to the water hole, and he walked right up to me like eight yards, and I like shoot him out of there. <laughs> and he ran right back to the water hole and up the other ridge. And about twenty minutes before dark, I hear something coming down the ridge, and it was that bull. I ended up shooting. He came in, and I saw him coming. So I, I ranged out in front of him. It was thirty-five yards, and he right where he got to where that black bear ran across. He kind of like jumped kind of spooked a little bit but he like started sniffing and he turned and looked the other direction well as soon as he turned his head i drew leaned forward you know let him have it so he ran maybe 60 yards below the water hole but i couldn't it was starting to get pretty you know last light i couldn't tell exactly where i hit him but i saw him bed down and so i decided just to be safe and i backed out that evening came back at first light and he had he was dead right there below the water hole so that was the first. That was the first bull I killed that I didn't call in. Believe wow. it or not, first bull I ever killed over a water hole, and first one I ever killed in August. That's a pretty awesome story. And he he didn't wasn't totally still in velvet. He had some shed off. That's correct. Yeah, he had. He was probably ninety percent shed. He had a little bit on like his one brow kind of had a little chunk on the end, and then on his right, the end of his main beam, he had a little bit hanging off, which I left on there. So I, I got him back from the taxidermist now. He's got him Euro, but he looks pretty cool with that velvet hanging off there. Well, even like talk, talk about how Wes and you said, like you didn't call him in and you know, you're just kind of going off of like what your game cameras were telling you basically. What would, what was going to be like plan B um, because of you seeing a bull uh, that w- were you able to draw back on that one on opening day before that guy like got kind of messed everything up? Yeah. So I was actually, I actually came to full draw. I was waiting for him to take those two steps out. And then he kind of started running, like trotting. And so I let down. And then when he came in closer, I had a like a window at 30 yards. And I couch-chirped at him just to try to get him to stop there. And, of course, he ran through the window and stopped on the other side oh. where I couldn't get a shot. So I was at full draw again. And that bull, I don't know that it was the exact same bull, um, but that bull was still in full velvet that opening morning. <laughs> so just in those five six days you know they started really stripping the velvet right well what was going to be uh like because like i said you know you so you have that encounter so you're obviously seeing seeing um elk already you know with your eyes but then your game camera was telling you you have some decent bulls within that area hitting that water hole what was going to be Mm -hmm. plan b if you know that night kind of came up with with nothing so there's this um there is this area that i've killed a bull in two years prior and the elk like to hang out in there and you can glass it from, it's like across this giant canyon. It's this ridge that kind of comes out and then just stops. It's kind of like its own little finger in between two big valleys. And it's all thick, nasty, just junk all below it. And there's like a little aspen. It's like topped with aspen. So it's just dark and, or just, you know, shaded enough and, uh, that they go up there and lay and you can see them on the hillsides going up into there. So that was kind of my backup plan. Um, I'd been seeing them go up into there and I'd actually had a trail cap. I'd put a trail camera in there la- uh, last year. I didn't have one in there this year, but just cause I know, I know they, they hang out in there. They, they feel comfortable in there and it's really tough to get in there. Okay. Um, you either have to, you either have to go down into the valley and come up below them, which is how I killed the bull two, two years ago now. Okay. Um, or you have to wait until the sun gets up high enough where the thermal switch, and then you can come down the ridge above them. 
and kind of just work into those aspens. But the problem is you never know where they're betting. They, it's a pretty long aspen grove in there, and they bet all over the place in there. So you're just kind of like sneaking in there and kind of you know sneak your way around. Now, can you talk a little bit about what your preseason uh, strategy is going forward? I know you talked a little bit about it in Colorado the last time that we we uh, had you on the podcast, but with this being in Utah and a little closer to home, you, you can access it a little easier. Um, I, I, I don't think people realize how much time and effort you're putting into the mountain, you know, even before the season starts. I know it makes it seem pretty easy with you having basically a couple of days of hunting, but uh, you got this bull and uh, made it seem extremely easy, but can you kind of s- lay out your preseason prep uh, going in forward. Yeah. Cause I even like, before we even get into that Wesson, cause for us here in, you know, we're hunting whitetail in PA and we'll scout now we'll get some, like, what are, you know, like, what is this late season pattern? Like, where are we finding that? And then we pick up a little bit, um, you know, in, in during Turkey season, but the summer months, we're not really scouting because it's, it's totally different other than when we're getting close and we're putting out those cameras you know what i mean but for you right like you're you're hiking these these mountains in in the heat of summer mm-hmm. so yeah i i'm really interested to just seeing how that kind of the the difference and where the uh the similar uh traits are are aligned with that yeah so i do i shed hunt pretty deep into summer before i switch gears and and you know start really focusing on scouting um I like to have my cameras set, at least some of them set by the time June hits. Okay, is when is when I like to have my cameras up by, uh, at least you know a decent amount. And this summer was so hot and so dry. My basically, I focused everything around water, just any water I could actually find. And the problem is, is even the bigger water holes I could find. There's a lot of free range cattle up in the area that I hunt. Yeah, and they just. Though honestly, the one I remember before you guys got out of here, I think I sent you some pictures of those mule deer, those big bucks that were coming into that water hole. Yep. yep. Um, the cattle actually got in there and drank that dry. And so I still have actually, I still have three cameras out there that I still haven't had a chance to go back and get. So I'm kind of curious to see what they've been out there all through September, October, you know, November. So I'm curious to see what those, you know, um, show for like as you move later through the season. I mean, I mainly archery hunt, but it would be good to know what they're doing. Um, you know, if anything's passing through those areas in the, you know, the rifle hunt and stuff like that. Cause we have the general three season tag in Utah now where you can get the archery general tag, the muzzleloader tag and the rifle tag. Okay. So, um, but yeah, other than that, I, but a lot of times they, they like to hang out higher elevations, um, especially there's no pressure yet. So they're a little more visible. They'll hang out in more open areas. But as soon as season hits, they're just, they go into the dark, nasty, thick stuff. And it's like, I, I mean, this was a unique year because they only had certain places to get water. So I knew if I kind of bounced around water holes and kind of just kept following my trail cameras, yeah, that I'd, I'd have some encounters, but I didn't think it would happen that quick. Honestly, well, I honestly, the early season, is not my favorite because it's just hot and you're sitting there and you're not calling and it's well it's just i mean it's more whitetail style where you're just kind of sitting and waiting but you know it does pay off if you can find those little little hidden spots that not a ton of people know about well that's the that was going to be my next question is like so you have someone that 
it, like say like Dimitri and I, hey, we our only time available is to come out come out during that early season to to chase elk, say, and um, yeah. you know we don't we don't have your ability to 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 go scout for us. Like we're coming in blind, basically. How hard right. is it for someone like that to go ahead and and find those water holes? Because like you said, you know this is where. You know, you were able to know, okay, hey, listen, it is a dry, hot summer. I got to find this water hole. And that's where, you know, you were finding on your camera where you had uh, already an encounter, like first thing in the morning on the first day. You know, if someone is just coming in there, what what are you looking at even on a map to say, okay, this could be a possible spot where, you know, I, I could be finding a water hole or something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, see, this one was, you could tell, so looking at the map, you could tell that there was like, they kind of have like on Onyx, they have those like blue lines where yeah. it looks like a stream runs through there. Well, I had checked below there and there was not, I mean, it was bone. It looks like there hadn't been water down there in years. So basically I just, but I did see a bunch of dark timber above there, like pines and stuff and aspens. So I just followed the valley up and that's when I found this little, basically like a little oasis. I mean, there's no like you don't look at the map and it shows water it's all covered by trees you know and that's probably one of the reasons it holds water there so i mean that one was probably a lot of a lot of luck but you basically if you follow any of these little these little valleys that show water in there mm-hmm. if you keep going high enough you're probably going to run into it eventually especially if as long as it's not exposed if it's i would look for like you know dark spots that are really thick on the map and there's a chance it could, you know, they could be holding some water up in those pockets that you can't necessarily see from on X. Now, did you have any, uh, I mean, kind of going, I mean, it's kind of, I don't want to say it was easy because <laughs> it's not, no hunt is ever easy. But when you look at your, your bull compared to your mule deer, did you find any correlation with like the elevation that you were at from seeing whatever specific game species that you were hunting this past season? Uh, the bull was a little higher. I mean, I'm trying to think of the elevation where I killed him at. He's like, uh, like 8,000 feet. He was actually 8,600 feet, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, the mule deer was maybe, uh, he was low. I mean, honestly, I, I, I found out where he was coming through, honestly, by accident. There's my, my one buddy, Chuck, that we hunt together all the time. He puts in a little more work towards mule deer, and I focus more on elk. But um, there's a spot that he had, me and him hunt together, and I was up there glassing. Um, I can't remember if it was quite season yet, or I think it was either right before season, or it might have even been in the early season, or the early part of the season. Uh, during the week, I would just go up there and kind of glass the hillsides and see. It's all a lot of scrub oak, but there is some like open areas. And a lot of the times, you get on these trails, and you can see them coming across. You can get up around and maybe cut them off. Right. So I, we have this like glassing point and I was up there and you got to hike you know, decent way up to get to it. Not terrible though. And then you, but you can see into all these canyons above you. And so I was glassing. It was about, you know, 20 minutes before dark. I'm like, well, I'm going to turn and start kind of working back the truck, kind of glass on my way down. Well, there's this little saddle that sits above the road there. I mean, it's probably 500 yards above the road, but it's real rocky and it's real steep and just nasty. Well, I pulled my binoculars up and I looked in the saddle and I see the buck I ended up killing and an even bigger four by four just out there feeding. And so I can't remember. It was 
So I hunted it. I hunted that spot one morning and then another evening. I think the second evening I hunted it. But to get there, so if you come up the valley, you're going to blow everything out that crosses there. So I had to stay. There's like a deer trail that runs kind of behind there, but then you run into these rock faces. I had to scale like a rock face and then a, like it kind of flattened off and you could walk a little bit and then you get to scale another rock face. Come up on the backside, come over so you can avoid that valley that they like to bed in. And when you drop, when you come up over the top, it's all just like, I mean, it's just like rock. But right in that saddle, it's all just kind of scrub oak and a little bit more open. There is one tree right by the, as you come over the top of those rocks and it like splits in two. And it's the only tree, I mean, maybe anywhere in that area really until you get down into the valley. But I just stood there in, in that tree and that buck did the same thing it did, you know, five days before. And he came up and he, he turned and when I saw him, like I heard just a twig snap and cause you can't see down in the valley, it's pretty steep. But I just heard something and I look up and I'm looking through like a bush to my right and I just see his antlers already. And he is like maybe 12 yards away. And so I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> and, and so I just draw. And as soon as he steps out, like his front shoulder comes out, he turns and starts coming right towards me. And he keeps walking. He takes a couple more steps. And finally, I mean, I think I shot him at like, maybe eight yards wow it's, yeah it's, i was just a full draw <laughs> in that tree he had no clue i was there and that front and I, he was getting so close i'm like i gotta do something now it was you know slightly quartered to me but as soon as that front left shoulder hit the ground i just had it tucked right behind there i put it right through him he ran past me and he just started i mean he was barreling over that hill and it's it's pretty steep and it kind of takes you all the way back down to the main road down there yeah and i just he got out of sight, but then I just saw dust kicking up, and he died. Um, I got really lucky. He this was the easiest pack out ever, and I, put, <laughs> can't, even, I can't even call it a pack out because I did, I gutted him and did it white tail style and just drug him down to the truck. He died like 150 yards above the road. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, but he got that full head of steam going downhill and just started tumbling, and then I started getting nervous because right before you get to the road, it's it, I mean it's a sheer drop off. I'm like, oh, please don't fall off of that and into the middle of the road. You know, but he didn't. He died probably 80 yards above that. Thank goodness. But, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd literally seen him in that other buck there one time, and I figured I'd give it a shot just because, you know, when they're in that early season pattern, as long as no one messes with them, right? They don't really have a reason to change. So now, is this was this your first mule deer? Yeah, this was my first mule deer. Yeah, I had a tag last year. I had some close calls, but just couldn't get it done. And then, yes, this is my first mule deer. The one thing that I loved about going out west was just seeing, like, the terrain and how they just maneuver in that terrain is just so unbelievable. I mean, we just – I'm so used to seeing them in the whitetail woods and the mountains and, you know, a way a whitetail just can move and just slip through your fingertips around here and just – they're like ghosts sometimes. But, man, yeah. j- just see, just seeing how um, – just how they just move. And like I said, I don't know if you heard on the one podcast that we did when I was down in that one little bowl, when they were just crossing over there, like, I mean, they had a purpose and they were getting from point A to point B rather quickly. And, uh, man, it's just, they're a fascinating animal. And I, I'm, I can't wait to chase them again and get, you know, 
blow my mind again and just be frustrated and just have fun doing it. But I just, uh, uh, just hearing that just, man, it, it, what a, a cool story. And just to have that opportunity where you're shooting them, uh, like you said, eight yards, like, man, all the practice, <laughs> all the practice that we, especially we're doing of, of shooting 80 yards, hundred yep. yards, just oh, to feel yeah. comfortable. And man, to have that opportunity, that's, that's whitetail stuff right yeah. there, man. That's awesome. Well, exactly. And I mean, I do the same thing. I mean, used to shooting like longer distance, just so you know, you can reach out there yeah. and, and he just, when he came up, he just decided that and then he's going to come, I mean, basically walk right at me, but now did that yeah, put a, just, I, I, what's that? did that put a bug in for mule deer into you or are you still <laughs> hardcore? I'm still an elk guy at heart. <laughs> I, yeah, they, they just, I don't get me wrong. I, I like mule deer a lot, but I love elk. I mean, that's just, it's what I fell in love with first. And they're just, I don't know if it's the size, I, the bugling, just, they're just, I don't know how to how to describe it. They don't even sound like they should be on this planet. Yeah, yeah. Like if you try to explain a bugle to somebody who knows nothing about elk, you just can't. You just got to play a video for them. Like that's that's what they do. That's what I was. I, it's actually kind of cool because uh, I told Demetrius, said, "Man, I got the bug again last night to want to go out for an elk hunt because I had a uh, someone that that well, I kind of messaged back and forth with through Instagram. He posted a, a really cool video of he and a buddy doing a pack out from this past year, and uh, I just commented on it. I was like, "Man, that, that's so cool!" And he's like, "Oh, I love elk hunting." And he's like, "Have you ever done it?" I said, "No." And he goes, oh man, when the first time you hear a bugle and it's within 50 yards, he's like, you are just going to lose it. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, said, I said, man, I hope I have that opportunity one day. Oh yeah. I mean, it is, it's insane. Like, you know, you can watch as many videos as, as you want, but until you get that experience in person where they just sound off, like you said, within 50 yards, right? nothing like it. Well, I know we talked a little bit about like your setup last time. Now, were were you happy with how, how everything performed? I mean, obviously you got the job done, <laughs> but I mean, as far as your your arrow, your broadhead, and you know, even your your practice shooting, you know, in the off season, like, is there is there anything you plan on changing? And like, what did, and, and if not, like, what what were you running just to kind of give everyone a a, a feel? Just because I know, you know, I'm always I like to tinker with things and just see what what's gonna fly true and, and have a, a, you know, the best opportunity, you know, what were, uh, what was your setup and, you know, are you keeping it, are you changing it? What, what's the deal with that? Um, you know, I keep telling myself I'm gonna make a little adjustment with, with my arrow setup, but, uh, it's like, I'm kind of one of those guys too. It's like, Oh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Yep. You know? So I shoot, um, Easton full metal jackets, uh, 340 spine. I got total weight at 478 grains. Um, and I'm shooting at 278 feet per second. And I still only, I only shoot a hundred grains up, uh, up front. I know a lot of guys, a lot of people shoot when 125 or, you know, people are going higher now. Mm -hmm. I've just been hesitant to, to change it. I really have. I've thought about maybe going to 125 up front, maybe in the future, but I'm torn. I, I, I just am a tough one when things are working. I don't like to mess with it. Right. You know? Um, other than the fact I may upgrade my bow this year. I think my bow's from four or five years old now, but Well you did have that still, limb issue, right? Right before the season? Yeah. So yeah, that's still it was um I took it into the bow shop and thank goodness it was just cosmetic. We threw a little epoxy on there just to, you know, make sure it didn't didn't splinter anymore. Because what were you um, running? A Hoyt 
Hoyt's uh, Carbon Defiant. Okay, Carbon Defiant. I couldn't remember because yep. I know I know the spider like their that other carbon the carbon spider from a, a few years prior to that one. I know that one had like a limb. Uh, crack issue that was kind of like you said like a cosmetic thing after so long it, mm-hmm. it just it, it splintered basically yeah yep that's yeah. what it was. it was just on the upper limb it just had a little bit of a i mean just a sliver kind of popped up and right freaked me out it was a week before season and it happened i'm <laughs> oh, like jeez oh my god I just, yeah, instant anxiety <laughs> oh i'm sure i like, go to the bow shop like can you fix it and they're like Oh yeah, it's fine. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's one, especially to that close to the season. Anytime you need something, they're always like, we're we're slammed or oh, exactly. yeah, you, we can't. They're slammed. I know. Yeah, and I'm one. I'm I'm there in you know June. Yeah, you know, getting everything, make sure everything's good, or if I need anything, you know. Well, that's or a, even earlier than that, but that's why I think it's important to have a great bow shop to take your bow to and, and give business to. Cause I, I know for us here, yeah, Miller's. you know, going down the Millers has really been huge for us. I mean, I've had several mm-hmm. issues with my bow up. Everyone knows by now <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> that listens. Uh, yeah. but you know, having someone to when that last minute that you can trust and take it to, you know, I had several issues and just taking it down to Miller's and, you know, no questions. Bryce fixed me back up with that day. And, you know, I was off and running, whether it was a 3D shoot or, you know, the season. So, you know, another mm-hmm. important tip is, you know, don't cheap out and try to get buy a cheaper bow just because it's online or, you know, having that shop and supporting them is, is really going to benefit you in the end. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Well, I think too, Weston, when going back to your arrow setup, I know like how I said about tinkering, I, even for our, for our trip coming out West, I was kind of getting, I'm like, okay, well, whatever I run out there, I I'll run for whitetail and kind of just see what arrow sets, you know, it does performs the, uh, the best basically. And mm-hmm. I remember I had early on, I had just had Easton access and I had one with, uh, 75 grains up front and then the other 50. And I usually in the years past would just run, run 50 up front. And mm-hmm. when uh, I tried that 75 up front, I, I think it was like 60 yards. As soon as I hit 60 yards, you just saw that sucker drop. Uh, yeah. You know, I would have to calculate for another three, four more yards basically to kind of help out as far as, you know, if I'm, if I'm, my dial's at 60, you know, I would have to put it at, if I'm raging a target at 60, I would need to put it at 65 yards to account for that little bit of that drop at the end just because of right. how heavy that was up front. Yeah, I mean, that's like that is the downside with the, the heavier, you know, the heavier you go, you're gonna have a lot more arc in your arrow. But um, with 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 that full metal jacket setup, I know it's a heavier arrow, it's going a little slower, but they just hit so damn hard. Yeah. Like that that bull I, I shot. I mean, he was only 35. It blew right through him. It actually went. He was kind of quartering too. It went through, and it lodged in his. It went through him and lodged in his offside like kneecap. True. And um, so I, I was, and I didn't realize that's what happened until I walked up to him the next day and I was like, "What's what? Why is his leg bleeding?" And I look at my arrows, still like it broke, but it was still the broad. It was buried in his like knee. And um, and then same with the, I mean the mule deer. I mean any yeah. arrow that range is probably gonna blow right through it. But <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now so, what what kind of broadhead are you using? I've been sticking with the Muzzy Trail cars. Um, I keep um, debating on going Iron Will. Okay. Or they have a, my buddy ran, 
one similar to the Iron Will, and I just threw the, a blank on the it. Day, um, the Day 6 ones? Day 6, yeah. yep. And he really, he, he was impressed with those. He shot a he shot a mule deer and a elk this year as well with those. He was really happy with them, so. I know, uh, I know a, a buddy of ours that, um, the boat, other boat tech down Miller's John Michael, he uses all, he shoot, he gets all kind of DMAP, uh, tags and everything. So he kind of just lets test a bunch of different heads out. And, um, I know he let one rip on a whitetail the other day. That was at least, he said 60 yards. And he's like, well, he just misjudged. He's like the, the, the arrow flew perfect with the iron will on it. Um, but no, they're, they're seem like a great head. I know our buddies up in New York it would partner outdoors. I know Bill, he uses, uh, iron wheels and stuff and kind of even to talk about the full metal jacket. Uh, I just shot a doe the other day with, with a full metal jacket. I kind of just was t- again, just because of late season, I'm like, ah, let's just tinker around with, with some arrows and setups yeah. what I had. And, um, this one was a 530 grain arrow i think it was uh, yeah it was it was like 528 so 530 uh full metal mm-hmm. jacket and again it was uh 26 maybe yard shot i think it was uh the one tree that i ranged and just smoked her and uh you know you just heard the pop uh, uh got a full pass through so i was really really happy with that and um like you said it's a hard-hitting arrow so i can you can't go wrong with really one of those or an right. access by any means, but now I was just curious just because again, I know, you know, for some people they, you get really in tune and some people don't really care and they just, whatever's working is working. It's just, uh, but man, when, when you talk about drawing back on a bull of a lifetime at 70 yards, I just want to make sure <laughs> I did my, oh, homework. Yeah. you know, you, you do your homework and, uh, you have every opportunity to hopefully where you're aiming and it's going to hit mm-hmm, for sure. So talk a little bit about, you know, you tagged out basically in Utah. You, you had basically the best start of the season that anyone could ask <laughs> for. Uh, so you, you got a nice bull down, then you got a nice mule deer, and then you're heading to your honey hole in the, the peak of the rut in Colorado. I mean, just talk about how the excitement was for you going, going on that trip this year. Yeah, no, I mean – um, Colorado has been very good to me. Uh, this is my fourth year hunting in Colorado and I was three for three going into this year. And, you know, I should have, I should have known <laughs> usually when things get going too good for me, too many good things happen in a row. I'm about ready for something bad to, you know, bad to happen. So it was due. I, and, and, you know, in the back of my mind, I don't want to say I knew it was coming, but I could kind of feel it coming and, Colorado's where it happened, unfortunately, because that's, and it still is my favorite. I love Colorado, but, um, you know, my buddy headed down there, uh, in September. So his dad actually had a, um, it's my buddy Chuck that I'd mentioned earlier. His dad had drew a limited entry, uh, bull tag for Utah. So that hunt ended on the 10th this year. And so we were going to leave the, maybe it was the 10th or 11th, but we were going to leave on the 12th. And he just needed an extra day to rest because they were hitting it hard. And and so we didn't leave till Sunday the 13th. And we got up like 4.30 in the morning, headed down about eh, probably six and a half hour drive and then two and a half hours up the mountain, two hours up the mountain, something like that. So we kind of got to a camping spot where I like to camp and just threw our stuff down. I'm like, we've got time to go. I'm like, I know a spot that's not that far that you know, might might let's get an evening hunt in, you know, yep. see what happens. We kind of like 
threw a couple things together and, and then headed out. And uh, we just kind of, seeing September 13th, we're like, okay, they got to be talking now, you know? And so we just kind of went, and there's this, it's, it's this giant area that I think I've mentioned in the last podcast. It's called, I, I named it the Abyss. And it's just this nasty, thick, deep area that you, I just work the rim and just kind of keep working around. If we worked into there, we called a little bit, moved, you know, moved around a little bit, called, called. I'm like, well, the last hour and a half, two hours, let's just sit above this, all this dark timber down over this, over this a nice little valley that kind of ran down into it. And I'm like, you sit on that side, I'll sit over here, we'll just kind of couch her back and forth until dark and just see if we can, you know, hear a bugle before dark so we got something to go after in the morning. You know, I wasn't expecting anything day one. And um, so we're set up about 80 yards apart, kind of facing towards different directions. And it's about, you know, half hour before dark. And I hear this, like, it, I didn't know what it was. At first. I thought maybe it could have been a bugle, but it was more of a moan that I could, I heard down, you know, coming up out of the, the abyss. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and I hear it. And I grab my phone. I text my buddy. I'm like, did you hear that? Like, was that a bull? And I put my phone back in my pocket and I kind of, you can just kind of see this little ridge that kind of runs down in there and I see something moving and I just see that tan body and I'm like, holy Jeez. crap, it's a freaking elk. And uh, he comes walking. So I'm catching bits and pieces of him coming up the ridge. Right. I can't really tell how big he is. And it's like I, the first glimpse I got at him head on, I'm like, ah, eh, I don't know. I'm like, I might not shoot him. And then he came out, he had to like duck under a pine tree to come out. And I was, I had my rangefinder up just in case. And when he ducked his head, he came out at, I ranged him at 38 yards. When he stepped out, he kind of turned and looked the other direction. And he was a little better than I thought. So he was, he was only five by five, but he had a nice whale tail on the end, you know? Right. And I'm like, you know, with both, with two of us being here, if we can get one down the first day, like, and then we could just focus on, you know, my buddy the rest of the time. So I'd enjoy calling just as much as I enjoy, you know, shooting them, obviously. But I'm like, I'm going to shoot him. Well, I, like I said, I'd ranged him at 38 yards, put the brain fire in my pocket. And so I have a dual pin slider. I had the top pin set at 20. And then my second one was at like 36. And so I'm just like, I'll put the 36 right on him. And well, when I was clipping my release on, he got closer than I thought. And threw back, he stopped perfect, and I let the arrow go, and I, I just hit him high. I hit him right above the lungs in that no-go zone. And as soon as it hit him, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I knew it was was not going to be good. But, um, you know, he ran off, and buddy came over, and I told him what happened. And we went, and, you know, I, I stood where well, we found right where I hit him. You could see like where his tracks where he turned to dig in to bail off the side of the hill. And uh, I had my buddy stand there. I walked back to the exact spot I was standing, and he ended up coming into 31. And I, I didn't think he'd covered that much. I mean, there's, that's not that far, but I aimed mid-lung, just you know, middle of body, and I should have just buried it on his heart, and I would have been in good shape. But didn't work out that way, unfortunately. And so I knew – It'd be pure luck if I'd killed him. So we bailed out that night, came back the next morning, first the first half of the day, you know, found blood for 100, 150 yards maybe, and then it just dried up. And we did some gridding and stuff. But, um, yeah, I knew he wasn't 
fit well at least dead anywhere we could find them right so that was back to reality humbling moment after starting off such a on such a hot streak but you know you do it long enough unfortunately that stuff happens but i just messed up i i don't know i just should have should have could have but you know it happened and sucks but just gotta kind of move on gotta do better next time yeah, it's such a such a shame that you had to, you know, take one for the team and shoot a five by five. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like that, but I was no, like, no. I'm just busting your There's balls. Two of us here, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> There's us in the east that would kill for a spike, and you're just like, yeah, I decided to. I would take this five by five. <laughs> I just can't get over the fact that the thing that I love though is how. A lot of people would have just said, all right, let's pack up. Let's just hang out here for the night, get set up, and just we'll get after it in the morning. You know, you had that opportunity to be like, hey, I know of a spot. Let's just go see, right. see just see what happens. And you put yourself in that position. Like, man, the, that's the one thing that I learned, too, from our trip is, you know, you're out there. Go enjoy it. Go give it your exactly. best. Give it your all. And. I think, you know, any advice that I could give anybody is like how Dimitri said, you know, if you're planning on wanting to do this, just do it. You know what I mean? And while mm-hmm. you're there, just be in there, be in the moment like like yourself. All right, we set up camp. Hey, we have a lot of time until it gets dark. Let's just go down here. I know of a spot I'm going to set up. And you put yourself in an opportunity. Like, that's awesome. Right, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That's like me. I don't know, you know, my buddies always joke that, you know, you can't kill them from the couch. Yeah. Yep. You know, you can't kill them sitting in the truck, can't kill them sitting in the camp, going at home, you know. You got to get out there. And the more times you get out there, that's just another opportunity you might, you know, present yourself with. Right. Well, that's what I love being out there. I mean, you're you're 100% committed. And, you know, when you're here whitetail hunting, I mean, you have family and, you know, nothing against that. But, oh, yeah. I mean, you have other distractions, right. you know. But right. when you're out there west on a trip, I mean – you're there to hunt and then that's the only thing you're there to do. And, and, you know, if you love hunting, well then you have basically 24 seven or, you know, however long your trip is the, the hunt. And that's what I loved. I mean, we never were really sitting at camp. I mean, whether maybe an hour or so, or, you know, getting water or refueling or getting lunch, but I mean, you're dedicating that whole daylight time is, is to be out there hunting and scouting and looking for new areas and, you know, you really have no excuse, no, you know, zero. because yep. you, there's nothing else to distract you but to hunt. Right. Exactly. Well, now, yep. and the, go ahead. I was going to say, well, now that you had, you know, that opportunity to right off the bat and you have that moment, you know, w- mentally, where, where were you at after that? So, I mean, I was still really confident. Like, then, you know, obviously we were going to go back and forth, you know, take turns calling and stuff like that. Well, after, honestly, I wasn't expecting anything the first evening. So that happened, kind of blew our next morning. So we kind of changed the areas a little bit um, the following evening. But so my buddy got to hunt my honey hole the first, his, the first time. Um, I, the place I've killed two of my bulls in Colorado, probably, with, I mean, they both, they died within 80 yards of each other. And we darn near did it three years in our, you know, I don't say the third one. <laughs> That spot, I don't know why they like it there. It's just, there's a lot of cover. Not many people go in. Oh, never seen, knock on wood, never seen anybody in there. <laughs> and just because you look at it on a map, you go, there's no way. There's no way there's elk in there. 
like it might be, but it's so steep and just like the, the big drop off is what throws people off. But it's not in certain areas. They work it and it's not as bad as it looks on a map. And sure enough, the first morning we go back in there, we're sitting there, it's breaking daylight and boom, sure enough, we hear bugle. So we get, we get the cow calling him and we're, he, I mean, he's firing right back at us. Not super aggressive, but he's, you know, every couple, if we go quiet for a little bit and the cow call, he'd, he'd bugle right back. But he kept kind of working away, found out he had a couple cows with him. And so we kept trying to, I was just trying to kind of, cause he didn't sound super aggressive. So I was just trying to cow call. Well, after following him for a while, I got, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to bugle at him. I'm going to try to piss him off. Well, I do go out and he shut up and he took his cows away. And so we actually had this bull on trail camera. He was a nice six by six, probably pushing 300 inches. Um, it's like, that's why I couldn't figure out why he was being so timid. Right. And, um, well, we found out later why, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I actually did call him into about 45 yards, but it was too thick. And then we kind of let him work off and we got back on him. But then after I bugled, he wanted nothing. He shut right up. And it was it for the day. But yeah, we had some not appropriate names. We named this bull because we ran into him a couple other times and he'd do the same thing. He'd bugle, but then he'd just kind of push his cows away. Even if you were just cow calling, he just kind of, nope, I got my two. Or, I think he only had two cows with him. Got my two. I'm good. I'm just going to keep them and stay away from everything. So he was kind of. A little bitch, but um, <laughs> now did you? Ever... He, was nice, I mean, he, was a, he was a nice bull, but he just didn't didn't have that fighting spirit that I was looking for, yeah, <laughs> or that I needed him to have. Now, did you ever but, uh, think to try to figure out like what direction they were headed and try to cut them off, and you know, almost go to that white step white tail strategy where you kind of get in front of them you know i mean i'm just talking I, i've never elk hunted before but right you know i mean you know you had a couple opportunities and you just kind of couldn't close the distance i mean is there any as far as elk hunting ways you can kind of set up and you know kind of see where they're going and try to transition in front of them and you know almost without calling yeah so, so that area is tough to do that because it seems like in the like I say, they come up on that rim, and in the mornings they're wanting to get back over that rim and down into the, the like steeper hillside where they can bed in those dark pines. So it's all if you get in front of them and and they get just off the top a touch, the wind's gonna get you. Right. So and there's no way to come in from below them. Like if, if there was a way to like loop down somehow and get below them and come up from the bottom, but it's just. So, and, and they always kind of just shift a little bit. You never know exactly on that rim where they're going to be. And as long as they're not getting, you know, a ton of pressure, they stick around a, a general area. I mean, probably we're talking like a mile long strip probably. And then there's another area just down from there. That's another good section. It's very similar, but um, it's just, yeah, they, they work the top of that and they'll, they'll come up at last light. They'll come up and out of there. You're kind of just, and, and the winds are just the winds are what get you um, because they like to side hill a lot once they get off the top of that ridge. And to, I, don't, I don't even know how you, you'd have to get you have to do such a loop and in the dark and in as deep as it is to get below them to try to kind of come up and just wait. You'd almost have to do it in daylight and then just camp down there and hope nothing's passed through in the night. They, they you know, right? It, it's just a it's just a gnarly area, really. 
we, you know, we played with that bull a couple days. We actually found him in another valley, and he, like I said, he did the same thing with his cows. We saw his cows come through, but we were in a, we were kind of, we had to jump into this little ditch to keep the wind right, and we, the cows were moving just above us, but he stayed back in the in the nasty stuff, and then don't know where, you know, once we got a, ahead of him, I don't know what happened, right. and where they went, but uh, a couple days after that. We almost got a stud killed. Um, now this is a, a you know a general unit, um, and this I didn't get to set eyes on him, which I'm still bummed about. But um, I dropped back and was calling for my buddy. Um, we were working the you know working the abyss again, just a little a little farther north this time, and uh, we hear bull bugle. So my buddy gets out and gets on the edge, kind of like looks downhill a little bit, and the wind was good at the time and so i dropped back up you know on the flat area where they kind of you could tell they had been up in there it was all was all fresh sign and they tore it up pretty good so i'm sitting up there just cow calling cow calling i can hear them bugling over the side i'm just breaking sticks kind of just making it sound like some cows are feeding around up there and and uh he had i think six or eight cows with him and a calf well the calf got super excited and the calf came running in to my buddy like like 15 or 20 yards and my buddy looks up and the bull steps out with like I think there six or eight cows, whatever he had with him. And he said that I think the bull was at 60 when he stepped out, but there was a falling down tree, like covering him up. Okay. And, um, he said that bull was probably pushing 330, 340 <sighs> and just a jet black rack, big six by six. He said he was beautiful. Oh my and, God. um, he, he started to kind of come a little bit and that calf, run right was coming towards me ran right past my buddy but got downwind of him and kind of like spooked yeah. ran back to them and then the bull kind of grabbed the cows and turned and took them oh, took them away geez. so yeah he needed to go like 10 yards and, and we might well he might have got a shot at him at least jeez that's crazy that's, yeah but they're, they're the moment <laughs> they're the moments man that i just wish like it's like i want to be in that moment but then this, just have that happen, but I'm sure, like, if that did happen, I'd be so pissed <laughs> at the same time. I know, right? You know, it's well, like, I, like, oh, man. Yeah, and it's funny, so I, I kind of, like, I hear him stop calling, and I'm just sitting up there, like, just kind of still cow calling, and I hear, you know, some sticks break, and I look, my buddy starts coming, and I look at his face, and his just eyes are huge. He's like, dude, he's freaking huge. <laughs> and I'm like, well, where'd he go? Like, you know, obviously, and we're trying to get a game plan, and um, we never did turn that bull back up. We don't know where he went, but um, he was a stud. And I've seen some some really nice bulls in that area. The year before, I, I saw two really nice bulls in that area. Just couldn't get close enough. But there's usually always one or two hanging around in that in that nasty stuff. Like like, and I mean like good bulls, like right. good six by sixes. So. Well, and you they talked, were there again this year. And you talked about too. You didn't see you had no encounters with anybody else while you're out there. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think. Did we run into anybody in the actual? Uh, I think we ran to one person. Yeah. Um, in one of the spots that we hit up, but uh, the thing that the and, and it was I tell you what though the the rut was not what we expected. Okay. And we had a couple of days where they were you know fired up or semi fired up, but snowed we got like a snowstorm i want to say it was like september 7th or something like that yeah 7th 8th or 9th somewhere right in that window 
and um, we had a camera up high. And I had never hunted up there before, but I wanted to put a camera up there. And we found this nice little like waterhole wallow area, and with these nice meadows up there. It just I mean, looked beautiful. Right. And we went and checked that camera like the fourth day we were there, third or fourth day we were there, and up until that snow hit, there were bulls coming in there left and right. And then the snow hit, every one of them vanished except like a small four by four came past and threw in the snow. Right. So there was probably like 10 different bulls and like four of them were nice bulls. I mean, nice bulls. Now, what do you, what is your game plan when you, when you have a, a rut that's not crazy and, you know, bulls aren't going nuts and you have a snowstorm? Like, what is your game plan as far as calling then is like, are you just trying to find the, the most active sign you know, trying to put yourself in that position and uh you know if you get lucky and get a call back of some sort like what what do you do in that situation we just we, we tried to cover a ton of ground yeah and look look for fresh wallows and stuff like that we did find a fresh wallow and um but like it was like right towards the end of our hunt so it didn't really we didn't really get to we got that it was actually what took us to where how we found it was when we chased that the, the, the smaller six by six, um, we were chasing them down in there. We actually found it and it was tore up. There was two wallows down in there that were tore up and we tried going back in there and, you know, kind of sitting on them and stuff and yeah. calling a little bit around there, but we never didn't have any luck. And, uh, I will say that we didn't run into, run into them while we were out there, but we did on a couple of trail cameras in our in some other areas that surround there. We did, there was a decent amount of muzzleloader hunters up there and they have a 10 day muzzleloader season in the middle of their archery season which i hate yeah but it's same here for for pa now it's not 10 days but, <laughs> but it's it's still you're like what the heck i i don't understand that stuff yeah i think it's a, it's a week or 10 days whatever their muzzleloader season is but it's just and it's open site and but it's still it's just extra people out there and yep. and and i saw more people in you know the, the areas that can kind of you know push elk around um, and maybe out of our areas that I like to hunt or deeper into those areas that make it a little harder to get to. Right. But, um, more, more so this year than the, the previous years. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Combination of that, the weather. Um, because then I heard, I, I know a guy that's down there, I guess the last three days of September, they, they turned on and were going insane. Mm. Like the last three days of the, of the archery hunt. So now, I couldn't be down there for them. So. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, it sounds like even here in PA was well, kind of like how our rut was. Now, when you talk about covering as much ground as possible, now is that where you guys are taking uh, camp on your back, or are you still setting up in a, a specific spot? We still stayed. Uh, we kept our base camp in a specific okay. spot, um, and then we, I mean, we just would get up before daylight, and I had had some. Uh, the, actually, the area where I filled my first bull, he was up at higher elevation, and I knew these glassing points I wanted to hit, you know, get to. Yeah. And um, there was just nothing up high this year that we could find. I mean, there was there there was I will say this though, there was a lot of cattle up a little higher this year as well. So I don't know if they affected where the elk were hanging out. Um, but yeah, there was just and like I said, that high trail cam a week after. We got there, we checked it for, you know, a week after that snowstorm and they're just all the elk. I don't know if they just pushed them way off the top or just down maybe off the backside. They didn't come our way necessarily, but there was a hand, I mean, there were some 
bulls hitting that camera pretty regularly and they just all vanished yeah. from well, those higher elevations. So, well, I mean, even when we were in Utah, which was, you know, back in August, we talked to a couple of the elk hunters and, and they were really struggling to find the elk and they were hunting a little higher elevation as well. I mean, we saw yeah. about 20 cows yeah. on the first mm-hmm. day, which was lower elevation, which was kind of odd as well. They were probably at about the, what, 7,500 feet, yeah. um, which is pretty low for them at that time of the year. But, you know, I think they were finding the elk hunters, you know, on our unit were struggling with the same situation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll come down in those lower elevations for like over by the area that I hunt, there's a lot of um, tribal land that isn't far off and you can sit there and glass into the tribal land. Just, they know they're safe there. They'll go down. They don't care if it's hot. They'll go down there. Cause they know they're not going to get messed with. They'll find shade. They'll find water, you know, so I guess it'd be security number one, and then they can figure out the rest from there. So it comes to that. But. So then you you went, you went back home for a little bit, dropped your buddy off, and then you actually went back to Colorado by yourself, correct? I did, yeah. I went back for three more days to give her one more. Cause that's, <laughs> that's how I killed my bull in Colorado the previous year. I hunted with a buddy, didn't work out, had some close calls. Went home, went to work for four days, went back, and killed that bull the first morning I got back. So I actually got yeah got there late that night last year. Like parked at two two in the morning, slept till four thirty or something like that. Got up, got dressed, hiked in, and had my bull killed by eight. So unfortunately, this the same thing did not happen this year. <laughs> um, I honestly those last those three days that I went back to hunt. I did not hear a bugle. Wow. I found the elk, but they found me before I found them. Like I would was trying to do my like run and gun kind of cow call, cow call, move up, cow call, cow call, kind of keep, just kind of keep moving. Yeah. And, uh, the one morning, the first morning actually, and the second morning, um, the first morning I, I was working up this little ridge. I sat there and I called for probably 15, 20 minutes, didn't hear anything. I'm like, all right, I'm going to move up a couple hundred yards and try again. I get up to move and I peek over the ridge and there's elk right on the other side of the ridge. They just turned and bailed off. I'm like, they're that close and they're not making any noise, you know? And I couldn't, there was a bull with them. I couldn't tell how big, like I just saw a rack and he looked pretty decent, but they just were not making a peep. And then the next morning I worked on this sort of doing the same game plan, just farther down this other ridge and sat there and called for 25 minutes, half hour. And I just, Stopped calling, sat there for a little bit, got up, picked up my pack, walked, I kid you not, like maybe 60, 80 yards, stepped over this log, snapped a branch, heard something, looked up. There was elk bedded right there, and they stood up and took off. Wow. There's no way they didn't hear me. You know what I mean? I'm yep. just, I, so I don't know what, what got into them this year, but it was it was tough, um, that last little trip I went. Well, even the, the, the late, later part of the, the first trip when we were down there, but and I heard they turned, you know, turned on fire that last three days of the archery season, but at least for the part of the state that I was in. So. Right. Right. And then, uh, so that wrapped up your Utah hunt. Then what, uh, so what, uh, got you into the, uh, the cow hunt for that one? Yeah. So it was funny. I just, they, they had the analyst tags and 
my buddy's like, "You gonna put it for any antlers tag this year?" I'm like, "Yeah, why not? You know, throwing for putting for a cow elk tag, do a late season cow elk hunt if I need, just in, you know, in case if I need meat." Right. Right. And you know, drew it, and the first day, uh, went down to that the unit that uh, I had the tag for, and we got some snow that morning. I couldn't see until probably 10, 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't see 200 yards. It was snowing pretty good. So that was a little frustrating. I couldn't glass or anything. So I just kind of kept moving and just glassing as far as I could into little valleys and canyons and kind of was going to do this big loop up to the top of this ridge and kind of then do a loop down to the truck and see if I either cut any fresh tracks or, or glass anything up. And then if I didn't, I was going to get in the truck, move, and kind of just do the same thing up all these little ridges and just kind of until I could turn something up well the sun came about 9 30 10 o'clock and it, everything cleared up I start working down this ridge and of course I glassed once I see two elk about 100 yards and they're both bulls of course <laughs> I don't have a bull tag yep. and so one was like a decent five by five the other one was a little four by four I come down further that same ridge probably 300 yards down the ridge glass there's three more elk in there all bulls and the one was actually the one was actually a really nice five by five. The other two were smaller, but he was beautiful. And uh, he was standing there, he just had big old whale tails, but just standing there about 120 yards, wide open. <laughs> and I had to sit there and watch him. But um, <laughs> mark that on that, yeah. X, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, but the um, that evening, I didn't see anything. Came back the next morning. I switched areas, and uh, I mean, I walked like. I don't know how far I walked, but I didn't cut a track, didn't nothing. So I went back to my truck about 11, moved areas. I'm like, I went a little further south where I saw those bulls, like just like two canyons south of there. I'm like, there's got to be cows around here somewhere. And I hiked up to the top of the ridge, finally cut a, cut a some fresh elk tracks, started following them. Followed them for quite a while, actually. And, uh, I'm around this, this top, getting towards the top of the, kind of like where it's starting to top out. And I hear something, I look over and a calf stands up and just staring at me like 60 yards. I'm like, oh shoot. <laughs> and so she bails up over the side of the hill. And then I kind of like move up and look down and there was no other elk with her. I'm like, well, there was like three sets of tracks here. Oh, and that was when the mountain lion was falling the same tracks I was. Yep. That was kind of creepy, but. It was kind of cool too. Um, so I then I looked up the ridge and I saw some snow all kicked up going up there, and there was just a feet down fresh trail going the opposite direction. I'm like, well, there's more elk here, so I'm gonna follow these tracks. So I bailed off to the other one, got on these ones, and I walked like 40 yards, and there was just fresh crap. It was still like mushy and hot. I'm like, oh, they're not far at all. I went maybe another 200 yards and. They, they looked like they were going to go down in this valley. So I kind of tried to stay above the tracks. Well, they went down a little bit and turned and went straight up. I'm sitting in a glass and I didn't realize that they, they did the, like the loop back up. I'm sitting in a glass and down the valley. I'm like, they got to be down there somewhere. I'm like, I'll sit here for a while and they'll, they'll move eventually. And I was just going to wait them out. Well, I hear one bark. I'm like, from behind me. I'm like, oh, crap. So I stand up and I kind of move out from behind this tree. I look and there, there they are. They, went down and then just came straight up the ridge, like up the mountain, the top. And they're staying up there. So I had to shoot freehand. They're about uh, 
the cow I shot was like 120 yards. I shot her. I hit her low. And she comes barreling down the mountain. I'm like, oh god, this is gonna be a nightmare. <laughs> and um, and so like they they work over kind of they they did come down though, which was nice. They go over the side of the ridge, kind of get over there, get on her blood, um, kind of gave her a little bit of time so they kind of calm down, followed her a little bit, found where she she bedded down, and. And she got back up and left. I went over one more ridge and I saw the rest of the herd went up and she turned and went down. I'm like, okay, so she's not feeling great. And I went over one little knoll and I looked across and about 60 yards, she was bedded and she stood up and then I just, I put one more in her just to finish her off. But yeah, she didn't do me any favors for that pack out after all that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I remember watching uh, on your story how you're saying that you're lucky you got on the second day because you're able to drive your your Jeep down there a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was able to drive the truck a little closer the the next day. I had to, um, yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was so icy and snowy (laughs) and rocky. And I mean, my completely ruined my late season pants for sure. So. I mean, they just got tore to shreds, but, um, but yeah, that, uh, that pack out was, I mean, my body was hurting after that, that <laughs> first day because I mean, I took some massive spills, but, uh, yeah, I got her, I found a, a little bit easier route. It was longer, but I ended up dropping off the back side of the mountain and there's a kind of secondary road that kind of wrapped around the backside. So I hiked her down to there. I shot her about two thirty in the afternoon. So by the time I, Cut her up, got her in a game bag, loaded as much as I could that first night, and um, hung the rest in trees, especially with the mountain lion tracks. And I know there's bear up in that area too. And got uh, got down to the secondary road, threw my pack in the weeds, just grabbed my rifle and hiked probably two and a half, three miles around the road to get back to my truck. Jumped in the truck, drove it back. Luckily, I could just drive it right up to the. Yeah. I, I get interviewed my backpack and stuff, threw it in the back of the truck, and then left for the night, came back next morning, and got the rest of her. So crazy, man. That's awesome. That's so cool. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so four. Finished the, finish the year on a high note. I was going to say, sure. finished yep. the year on a high note, four punch tags, and uh, a lot of meat in the freezer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. What's the what's almost, the almost perfect, but not quite. Not quite. <laughs> but, we can improve next. Yeah, yeah. It makes you want to at least look forward to uh, next year and not get too uh, yep. stale on that. Well, you know, thinking back on that whole on the whole year and what awesome how each hunt was kind of was so unique in in its in a, in all their own. You know, what's the one thing that you really took away from from this past hunting season? Um. Don't pass up five by fives. Yeah, <laughs> don't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Take an extra second to make sure you take the right shot. No, uh, honestly, this is probably the first year where scouting has showed its benefits the, the fastest. Right. You know, I mean, this is also my, you know, let's see, I've been here about three. Yeah, going on it'll be four years in June, so um, it's all kind of starting to come together you know all that time spent in the mountains you're starting to find little pockets where you know okay elk like to hang out in these areas you know and it then you can get your cameras in there see what type of quality of bulls are in there um this is where it made me realize that like scouting is so beneficial it can make your hunt so much i don't think i don't know if easier is the right word but more i don't know like worthwhile like you're, you're you know you're 
if you're in this area that you got a chance every time. It, right. it almost gives you a little more confidence. You know what I mean? Yep. So that, that's what I say. The scouting is starting to, to show um, what it's worth. I so. think I think too by putting yourself in that position, you're getting to know those that area better. You know, that's the one right. thing I love when I do go back home and hunt with my dad is, uh, I mean, he knows that mountain like the back of his hand. <laughs> and it's, right. it's, it's just so neat because I'm getting there, but not quite. But at the same time, I mean, heck, it's even the same thing when I go with Dimitri, even here, like I'm spoiled. Like I have two guys that I do hunt with a lot where know the properties that I'm hunting them with that, you know, they know it really, really well. Um, so it's just, uh, I, I see that benefit. And for you, I mean, like you said, it, then it just could open up your horizon even more because it's like, okay, I have this area down pat. I could look to expand this area and it just, exactly. And that's what I'm going to look. And that's what I'm going to look for to do this spring, summer is to kind of expand, expand now, because I mean, that area produces elk, but now I'm starting to get to the point where now I want to start looking for, you know, those general units are tough to find. I mean, they have them. Yeah. Like big quality bulls, but they're a lot harder to find in those general units. So now I'm going to start to kind of maybe turn my focus to a little bit more quality of bulls. Because I knew that bull I, that I killed in there, I wasn't seeing much bigger than him. There was a couple other about the same size in there. But, I mean, for that area this year, that was about, you know, what you're, you were going to get. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Now, now, what do you think, because you have a very unique story, you've only been out there three or four years, but your success rate has been so high yeah. since you've been out there, whether it's been elk or mule deer, why do you think you're so successful? You know, is there something, you know, th- obviously there's no secret or, you know, you're not doing, but is there a strategy or, you know, is there something that you feel that you're doing differently? Because you know, really the only people having more success than you are people hunting on private ground or, you know, some of these higher up influencers on, on social media that maybe have access to different things than us normal people don't have access to. But is there something that you, you feel that you're doing differently than most people? I mean, I'm very, I don't know if competitive, I'm definitely competitive but against myself almost where like if something went perfect, I'll find something that could have been better, Which I don't know if that's a good character trait or not. Probably not. Cause I'll never be satisfied with anything, <laughs> but um, like, like with the, with like perfect example, you know, with Colorado hunt, I messed the shot up. So that one was an easy one to take negatives away from with the mule deer or the bull um, that I did kill. Well, they could have been a little bigger, this, that, and the other. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very critical of myself, and I don't. I just think I can always do just a little bit better, and I think that's kind of what drives me a little bit. Is I'm a very good shit talker to myself, <laughs> um, especially if I'm tired or something. Like, oh yeah, I'm not really feeling like getting out of this, you know, sleeping bag this morning. It's like I'm very good at shit talking myself and motivating myself that way, but. I mean, I don't know. I just, just, I put a ton of time in it. And if I'm not seeing what I want to see in a, a certain spot, then I'll just move. Right. You know, even if it's blindly sometimes, that's what I did, you know, the first couple seasons until I started, you know, narrowing some areas down. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm just obsessed with you know the elk and and I mean that's the whole reason I moved out here. For being completely honest, was so I could have more access to them and um, kind of this is you know this is what I do. This yeah. is this is what I love. So. No, that's, I, I, that's well said. And I love the fact that, like you said, you, you just, you're going against yourself. You're, you're trying to just improve and get better. And I think we all want to do that, you know, whether it is hunting or just in regular life and heck, right. I, 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 heck, I mean, the fact that there's times where, you know, this past whitetail season for us, it was frustrating as hell because it's like, man, I did put in time, you know, as scouting and maybe things aren't going the way we, we were hoping, or it's just, it's a puzzle and you don't know, okay, were you hunting yesterday? No. Was somebody else in here? You have no idea. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, yep. uh, and at that same time, it's like, you know, like you said, maybe there are the moments where like I, there were a few times where I hunted just blindly this past year. Uh, like, mm -hmm. you know, I, that was kind of like my goal for myself was to get into just certain spots, whether it be a kind of like observation hunt sit, like, okay, let's just go in here. Let's see what happens. If nothing happens, yeah. you cross that off. Um, you know, I was lucky that I had the opportunity to do that more often just because of being remote for teaching and had that, the, the time available. Now, next year if you know hopefully hopefully things do get back to normal and i'm you know i don't have as much time just because i want normalcy but uh you know i won't be able to do that it will be more so right. the weekend warrior you know going after it and just so that's the thing i think that is so hard in the hunting is just the uh man, like just having those opportunities to say like okay i, I just got to move like you know it, it's having that mm -hmm. that inner talk with yourself like now's the time go you know what i mean yeah. and not want to mm -hmm. and not think about regretting it you know what i mean because right yep it's it's because you'll, you'll ultimately learn something yep, yep. You know what I mean? so but yeah that's it, it was funny after you know i was i was driving back by myself from colorado um after you know not filling my tag for the first time i kind of just you know thinking to myself i'm like you know i i was I don't want to say I was taking Colorado for granted, but it was kind of like it had been a sure thing. Yeah. And I started kind of like laughing to myself almost. I'm like, oh, they're screwed next year. <laughs> this re, you know, yep. it's it relit it. Like sometimes yep. you need that. Oh, yeah. Know, knock, knock off your high horse. You're like, okay, you're not that great. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not that I thought I was great or anything, like not to sound like that, but you need those reality checks to kind of be like, you're human. You mess up, you know. It's almost so. like the uh rocky four when he when he makes the russian bleed and he's like he is human that's right. that's wesson yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep. no man i you know it's it's actually pretty cool that you said that because as you were saying that i'm sitting here thinking to myself about uh like where i hunt back at home with my dad because i'm thinking to myself man all preseason, i'm like yeah finally i'm figuring it this side of the mountain out and you know we're we are getting you know deer here at the end of the last season at man at the end of uh the season last year i had eight different really nice bucks on camera and i'm like okay if they continue to work that way next year like for this past season i'm like man i we could have a good season and mm -hmm. we didn't get anything on camera that was eye-opening by any means preseason wise and i had a cell camera back home and the couple times i did get in i was only seeing doe or uh, young bucks, like, like young, young bucks. And, uh, 
when rifle season came, I kind of like walked around and it was all the hot, fresh, crazy sign was on the old area that I used to hunt, you know, kind of like when I was a young kid. So it was a total opposite. And it's like, man, I thought I had this shit figured out a little bit. And again, like you said, it grounds you a little bit and, uh, it, it made it more fun. And I, I, my dad is just, Hey, you got to get in here like now to see where, you know, where, where they're heading and what's going on just to kind of start putting boots to the ground. Just because again, like, like you said, it kind of relit that for me to get back home to, to do that a little bit more just because, uh, after seeing that side, cause I kind of put that spot on the side of hill there kind of in my back pocket, just because I was seeing all the other fresh sign and I shot my buck there a couple of years ago when, you know, on that, on the side that I've been hunting. So then I go mm-hmm. back to that old original side and man, I'm seeing trees that are just hammered with rubs, a ton of different scrapes and found out the, the, what was it? The second, that first Sunday of rifle season that you could hunt. So that technically the second day of rifle season here in PA, a uh, 12 year old shot, just a complete, uh, non-typical crazy, uh, buck that was kind of in that area. And, uh, mm-hmm. just a cool story about that for a 12 year old kid to shoot that. But at the same time, it's, you know, it, it deer were just different this past season all the way around. And, uh, I, I think it, it, it should, you know, lit a fire under us and I'm sure it lit a fire under a lot of people, which is going to be a, a long, hopefully fun off season. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh man. Now what Weston, how did you feel? I mean, this season you obviously you majority of the time you're hunting with a bow, but you did take an elk uh with the rifle. I mean, how did that feel kind of switching uh weapons this year and, and and do you get less satisfaction or, you know, about the same t- harvesting another animal with a with a gun? Well it was you know, it was actually, I actually enjoyed it a lot because it was, you know, I hadn't taken a animal with a gun in over four years. Yeah. Um, the last thing I killed him with a gun was a, a nice buck in Pennsylvania right before I moved out to Utah. So um, it was actually just such a different because I hadn't, I, could, I couldn't tell you the last time I got on a track in snow and followed it. <laughs> I couldn't tell you, like. You know what I mean? And it was, yeah. that was actually a lot of fun. It's just completely different because you don't have, usually you don't have snow in archery season, at least out here, you know, um, until you get to the extended, which is a whole nother animal. But um, it, was, it was different. I, I still prefer archery, mainly because of the warmer temperatures. But uh, <laughs> um, it was definitely fun. Like, I, I'll definitely um, be putting in for another late season cow tag, even though I said I'd never do that again after the first pack out. But it, that took about, once I got back to the fr- truck the first night, about halfway back to my buddy's place, I was like, eh, yeah, I'd, I'd do that again. <laughs> you know? Yep. So. Well, plus two, it was I just mean. different. Yep. It was a, lot of, a lot of fun, but just different. Well, man, when you too, if you tag out super early and you're done by, you know, middle of September, I mean, you want to get back out there at some point. So it gives you a chance to get out for uh, another chance to hunt. Exactly. Well, you yep. do the, you do the waterfowl hunting and all that stuff anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You, yep. you, you stay busy. <laughs> Well, you yeah, know, yeah. And I, I told you, Weston, that you got to come back to PA and yeah. do a do an archery hunt. I I know we talked a little bit about it early on in the season. You know, especially if you tag out early, got to get back to back to North uh, West PA 
and we can do a little group hunt up at uh marcus's property so <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that would sure. be fun it would be and you know i tell you the truth i was so close to coming home for thanksgiving and doing the rifle hunt this year my yeah. dad kind of talked you know, you know with everything going on with it you know everything yeah. kind of talked me out of it and i was like uh yeah you're probably right so i i failed on that but but you know here's what it is i I'll get back to, I, I'm getting the, the itch to get back to shoot a white tail. So well, I don't when, have to have sooner or later. When you're killing these big bulls, I, I can't blame you for not wanting to come whitetail hunting in well, Pennsylvania. Right. But, oh, man. No, man. I do that. So the nostalgia, you know? Yep. Yep. I was, I was so excited for this one to hear your stories about the hunts just because, you know, even, even through just messaging you back and forth and seeing the pictures, I wanted to kind of save those stories for the podcast just because I wanted it to be authentic and just, man, I, I couldn't be, when you would post those images, I couldn't be more pumped for you and how excited I, I mean, for how excited I got and Dimitri got, I could only imagine what it's actually like to, to, uh, be in your shoes and, Man, it, it's really cool to, to, to build this relationship and friendship and stuff. So I, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm pumped to see what, what next year holds and, uh, you know, what you have going on as far as, you know, scouting and finding some sheds. And I'm sure you're going to be finding some of those big boys that uh, maybe you saw a couple of weeks ago there in that cow hunt. Maybe you'll mark those on the – Hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping. Yeah. That would yeah. be pretty cool to, to find their sheds and stuff like that. So, man, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories and uh, – I'm um, looking forward to catching up in the summer when uh, we we could do another one to kind of see what uh, you have going coming up for the the hunting season then. Oh yeah, anytime, guys. I mean, I really appreciate it. You know, and if you guys ever need anything for me, and you know, you got my number, feel free to reach out. And when you guys get back out west again, I'm sure you'll you'll get yours awesome, one of these man. days. That's for sure. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, th again, thank you for for all your help that that you did t for us again, and uh, we really appreciate that. And Man, Weston, we'll uh, tell people again where, where they could follow you at and uh, see what's going on. Yeah, I'm just at uh, Weston Snyder 4 on Instagram. That's about it. So Awesome. Well, And I'll, I'll say this. You're active with your story, so if people are, you know, looking to catch some tips and, you know, like you said, you helped us out and uh, you're not going to know where the uh, abyss is or any of those hunting holes. but <laughs> Unless yeah. you yeah, hack, no. hack onyx. <laughs> yeah, hack is onyx, but... Other than that, I'm sure you'd be happy to help people, man. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for uh, coming on again. And until next time, everybody, check Weston out. Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Weston, thanks for coming on, sharing those stories of your awesome hunts. Looking forward to seeing what you got going on uh, for 2021, man. I know you're going to hit the ground running hard. So, uh, again, thank you, everybody, for the support. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll see you next time. Antler up.